was 1519 and Hernando Cortez secured 11 ships and 700 men set sail from Europe to the New World. After seven months, he made landfall and did two memorable things once he arrived. Number one, he planted and raised the flag of Spain in the soil. And number two, he shook the men to their core as he ordered that all 11 ships were to be burnt to a crisp. What was the message behind his two acts? Join us today as we take this time to stop and think about it. Hello? Hello, anybody home? I'm Think McFly. Think. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It. A podcast for the Christian thinker in a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment and the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual. This podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. Greetings, friends and foes, saints and sinners. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Stop and Think About It podcast, where here we are once again on video. If you're just listening, then, of course, you can't see the video. You have to be watching YouTube to see the video. Yours truly, the Bronx Expositor and our West Indian wordsmith will cover a topic which is extremely dear to our hearts and has been one for many years and continues to be so and that would be the topic of dun, 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 spiritual growth or in one word discipleship in our intro we look back to history at the intense act of cortez of raising the flag of his nation and burning the ship all the ships that he and his men sailed upon to come to the new world what was he displaying well they had left one life and entered into a new land and there was no turning back. What does this have to do with our spiritual growth? I'm so glad you asked. Because it has everything to do with spiritual growth. When you and I entered into a relationship with the Lord Jesus, he took us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we are to learn to live for Christ in this world. So we switch kingdoms spiritually but we still live physically if you will in the kingdom of this world and so among the six characteristics of living things we have to ask the question what is growth and one characteristic is life is growth or growth displays life Mm -hmm. in other words if it's alive it grows and when people don't grow houston there's a problem and sometimes growth has been retarded There's a problem with the genetic makeup, at least in the physical. And so what about growth and seeing stunted spiritual growth? Is this something that we see even now? And so when we see kids that have stunted spiritual growth, it may grieve our hearts to see that there's something that went wrong physically. Of course, God is in sovereign control of all things. And so we know in one sense, there's no accidents per se, but 
of course, there was something wrong genetically that took place, and God obviously allowed or caused everything to happen. So let's dive into spiritual growth. Glenn, this is something that's dear to your heart, I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we uh, literally wrote a book about it, right? Specifically, um, the discipleship book that you, you wrote and uh, helped edit. Uh, that is something that we're still working on, um, still trying to make sense of. Um, and I think it's super important. Just um, we're going to talk a little bit about of our, our transition later, but um, it's just some things that I wish I'd have known along the path, you know, five years, six, eight, nine years ago, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we are working on uh, multiplying for the master discipleship book, and hopefully that's going to be actually broken up into five different volumes, but we'll discuss that later. But in all reality, all believers are supposed to grow. Uh, we're not supposed to be uh, stagnant and it has nothing to do with your standing or judicial or adoption as to someone who is a child of Christ. Um, in Philippians 3, 9, Colossians 2, 10, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, uh, we see that there's an, an ultimate exchange uh, that God has changed us, that he's made us his. And even though we're all equally forgiven, are we all equally developed in Christ? Right? I'm an so, example of, of, of that being no. <laughs> right. And so you might be forgiven and the person that you know um, in Christ next to you or a friend of yours, uh, they also might be in Christ, but maybe you don't have the same level of development. Just like if you're in a family, right? There's fathers, mothers, children, there's teenagers, there's toddlers. And so everyone's at different levels of development um, with their age, but they're all still a family. And so when we talk about growth, we're really talking about the sanctification process. And what is the sanctification? What is sanctification, Glenn? Yeah, it's, it's basically, a, in a nutshell, the process by which we become more and more like Christ. Um, uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but basically we start off being unbelievers. And the hope is that as we, as we get close to the Christ return, we're going to be like him. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, Ephesians 4.15 says, grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And so we should have this like insatiable desire to want to be like the one who saved us. We want to be like Christ. Um, of course, in discipleship, there is this sense where we might kind of grapple onto or grab onto certain mannerisms and things of somebody who may be discipling us. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. You might pray like the person who disciples you. Um, if you know someone, let's say a father, and he prays, you might hear his wife use the same phraseology when she prays or their children or someone that somebody is discipling. You may hear uh, similarities in the way that they pray or in the similarities in the way that they preach or witness or what have you. And that all has to do with discipleship. Mm. Um, and so what spiritual growth is not, once again, it has nothing to do with your justification, your standing or your identity in Christ. Mm. Um, just because someone is 10 years old in the Lord and someone is two years old in the Lord, that doesn't mean that one is more justified in Christ than the other one. It doesn't mean one is more saved than the other one. Uh, when you think of the thief on the cross, uh, he, he was saved for moments. Uh, was he saved more than the apostle Peter? Uh, not necessarily, right? <laughs> not at all. 
Yeah, and one other thought people have to understand is that as you're reading through the New Testament, um, the letters are being written to different churches. And the interesting thing, if you do studies, is that when Paul refers to them in the beginning, he says, believers, he says, brethren, he's calling them as believers. And so he's, especially historically, the, the Corinthian church is the one that we all know. He's not saying they're not saved. He's not saying they haven't been justified, but he is describing what can happen if they do not grow in the right way. And he's telling them, this is how we should behave. This is how we should be. The, the indicatives are being explained. So obviously it's telling us that we're not fully formed and this process has to be understood. And it is, it is incumbent upon people like you and me to teach the next generation, to listen to the generation of form. Once again, time is not a factor, but um, it, it is something that's important to, to note that Paul says this, Paul d- d- describes it as a process. Paul, we, we talked about in 1 Corinthians 3, 2, is talking about being fed with milk and not solid food. That is something that we grow from. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even when we look at um, Philippians chapter three and uh, and verse nine, um, here he says. Oops, sorry, just lost my verse. OK, where is it there? There it is. Um, he says that uh, not that I've obtained. I'm sorry. Verse 12. Um, this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So there's this, this pressing on and striving to become like Christ in what part of my life, in every facet of my life. Mm. And so it, it shows um, kind of a tenacity and a perseverance that is mm. involved in this process. And so one of the things is that time doesn't necessarily automatically equate to growth. Uh, just some, just because something uh, kind of ticks along time-wise doesn't necessarily mean it grows because we see people growing at different rates. First Corinthians 3, 2, he says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Even now, you are not ready yet. And so Paul was calling them on the fact that, listen, guys, uh, you had all this time to grow, but yet you didn't really grow in the way you should have grown. And so just being a Christian for a certain period of time doesn't necessarily mean everyone is going to grow at the same rate. Again, in Hebrews 5, verse 12 through 14, he says, For though at this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. And so you got to realize that uh, when people are younger in the Lord, uh, do they have a constant practice in distinguishing good and evil, right? Or is everything good, right? Is everything is like, okay, you know, everything's wonderful over here. I just love Jesus. And, you know, Jesus is my father. Jesus is my savior. And I once was lost, but now I'm found. And so everything's good. Um, does religious activity uh, equate to spiritual growth, Glenn? I mean, if just somebody's just very involved and they're just doing a lot of things in the church, does that automatically mean they're going to grow? Uh, I, I, you know, once again, this is going to be very nostalgic. Just going through um, the different churches that I went through in the beginning that were unbiblical, and we're going to talk about that a little later. Is it's 
usually um, indicative of a lot of activity. Uh, youth programs, uh, singles ministries, um, bake sales, um, um, and, and, and in, in actuality, this flurry of activity is kind of a way to not deal with the, the main issue, which is that we're sinners and that there is this growth that needs to be going on. So I, I can say very, very with a lot of certainty that it, it, it's meaningless. It's, um, it, it is not um, necessarily indicative of anything. If we want to go from a biblical standpoint with Paul, he was very zealous. He was going around persecuting the church because he felt from his perspective that, hey, this is a false religion that's starting up and this false messiah. And he's actively going with people who are stoning and, um, Stephen, the first deacon, or, or the first, first martyr deacon. And he's involved in it. But that, that was a lot of activity. He had a lot of knowledge. He was active. He was going from city to city. But that doesn't necessarily equate to growth. It, it can just be a, and I know I'm guilty of this, it's just being so active in so many different things, but not really dealing with the inside person. Mm, very well said. Yeah, I mean, somebody can be, I mean, just think about kind of like being a hamster on a wheel. Mm-hmm. A lot of activity doesn't necessarily mean there's growth going on. Yeah. Um, and so what about knowledge? If somebody just kind of knows a lot of stuff and I know you have somebody in mind right now and I think I have the same person in mind, we won't use the person's name, but uh, we both know someone who was just kind of a sponge and just wanting to know a whole bunch of theological knowledge. Um, did that mean the person was growing? No, it definitely didn't. And, and I think... Um, there is, and I know who you're speaking about. There's also this danger. I've had other people, another person, you'll know who I'm talking about also, who just seem to be very fascinated with certain types of knowledge, you know, certain things that were kind of esoteric. Uh, when I say esoteric, I mean, mysterious, not a lot of clarity and you seem to kind of, you know, anything that, that seemed to be against the norm. And I, I was seduced with that as well. Just, Hey, I'm going to figure out something that's new that no one's ever thought of as opposed to saying, Hey, what's the tried and true. What are the things that I can hold a solid foundation to? Um, I can also give an example of um, not someone who's, I wouldn't say is not in the faith, but they had a lot of knowledge that they heaped on, but they had no fellowship. They didn't have a, a church that they went to on a regular basis. And so they just knew a lot of information. And so we, mo- we know both sides, one where it could be indicative of you not being justified at all. And one where you're just the same 10, 15 years later, you're just like nothing has changed in you at all. Um, and and I, I think that is, uh, is this something to, to give pause, I think, and maybe even a, a whole podcast just on that and how knowledge can kind of corrupt. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I've seen people, they just gravitated toward wanting to know all this theological knowledge. And, and theology, I mean, I love theology. I really do. And, and I think every Christian needs to love theology because it's the study of God. Mm-hmm. And obviously, to love theology is to love his word. But if you just want to gain knowledge for the sake of saying, okay, I know this theological word and I know what it means. And I know Calvin and Luther and what he said over here and what he said over there. And I know the doctrine of the atonement and the doctrine of justification. You can explain all these things, but if it doesn't make an impact on the heart, if you're, I like what pastor Peter says, some people are all head, no heart. 
So, I mean, just think about that, right? So everything's like in, in the head and nothing's in the heart because it doesn't move people to pray. It doesn't move people to seek Christ. It doesn't move people to serve. So you want to know everything about systematic theology, beautiful, but then you won't pick up a broom to sweep or you won't serve in any way in the church because, hey, you know, you think you're the resident theologian. Um, you're beyond serving, right? And so, I mean, you can't just be all head, no heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, think about Nicodemus, right? He, he, was, he was all head. Uh, yeah. And Jesus still said to him, you must be born again. It, right. it wasn't enough for him just to uh, have all of the time, uh, religious time, if you will, religious activity. He had tons of religious activity. I mean, he was a walking Bible. He knew chapter and verse. Yeah. He was the John Calvin Luther of his day. And Jesus still said, you must be born again. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it wasn't enough he, that something needed to penetrate the heart not just the head. Def- definitely agreed. Definitely agreed. And, and, and I think we can just quickly say it's not success. Nope. It's not pro- popularity. It's not prestige. It's not, um, not being seen. And one way I would kind of address it to make it simple for everyone is that, um, especially at Grace Baptist, we have this, you know, we go by the biblical mandate that it, it should not be someone new. And I know, maybe we'll know of people who speak very well, very dynamic, a lot of knowledge, very suave, very charismatic, not in the the mystical sense necessarily, but charismatic in in terms of people who become pastors in a blaze of glory. And then they flame out um, several years later and the whole movement is collapsed because there was no foundation there. Um, But you could say, Hey, very successful, very popular, you know, very good at speaking, um, you know, churches with 10,000 members, it's meaningless. It, it, it's, it's really meaningless because at the end of the day, the shine, the, the accolade should go to Christ. It should go to God. It shouldn't go to us. Um, um, he's, we're, we're tools, some, some very shiny tools and some very dull tools, but we're tools in his mission and, and plowing his field. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And so I just want to uh, touch on this one of my favorite passages of scripture in John chapter two and the book of John. First John is all about assurance of salvation. Uh, Let me just read this passage very quick. Verses 12 through 14. Um, The apostle John has written to um, his beloved or his little children, and he considers all of God's people, so to speak, that he's writing to as little children. But he specifically writes to three groups of people, and here they are. In verse 12, he writes, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And so the first thing you notice is there, there are three categories here or three levels of growth or three stages of spiritual growth and development. Mm -hmm. And he writes to all of them. I mean, they're all sitting at the same dinner table together. It's not that he thinks one is better than the other or more spiritual than the other in respect of being more saved than the other. And so you see his heart is for 
all three stages of spiritual growth and development. But let's kind of tackle some of these here in uh, in First John chapter two and just sort of break some of these down. Um, the first stage would be the infancy stage. And again, he says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And then he says again, um, I write to you children because you know the father. So, and so he says two specific things to them. And so we'll call this the infancy stage, which would be the babes and the children in Matthew two, eight, it uses the same word to describe a little boy in Mark five, 41 to describe a little girl and in Mark 924 to describe a little child. Mm -hmm. And so little children are those in the family of God and they're no longer children of Satan or children of wrath anymore, which Ephesians chapter two, verse one to three speaks of. And really there's two reasons, Mm -hmm. uh, truly newly born again Mm -hmm. and others that never really grew up. So some people are infants because they're just new, new in the faith and others Mm -hmm. are children because they just never grew up. And, and that one is really sad for me. Uh, the Peter Pan syndrome. Um, yes, exactly. Everything is always new. Uh, yes. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. Uh, I think we, we just discussed um, some personal examples without naming them of, of people who, you know, they're on a track. Seems like they're, they're growing. It's kind of hard to tell. And they didn't. And, you know, it's kind of sad because from, from our perspective, there is this tendency to, to, to say, hey, if, I, if I'd have did this, if I've done that. And I think this is one of the, the benefits of this podcast is that you just being able to recognize in yourself where you are, but also to kind of say, hey, you know, just because someone looks like, you know, they're on the path doesn't mean that they are. We have to start kind of gauging where everyone is, not not to judge, but to kind of help them, you know. Um, I think next podcast, we're going to talk about what to do when you're in a position to start discipling others, and then you have to know where they are. Yeah, that's important. So there's got to be some level of discernment that you have as you kind of look uh, at others that you have influence with and influence over. And so just kind of as we're looking here, um, there are those that, that should be beyond the stage they are right now. But as one brother says, they have Similek on their breath. Um, they're, they're still, they're still on the bottle and you would think by now that there would have been substantial growth, but in sanctification, I mean, the Lord is not opening your Bible in front of you and saying, okay, you know, let me read to you at night so that you can get scripture verses as you're going no, you have to open your own Bible. Uh, You Mm -hmm. have to begin to develop your own prayer life. And there can be people that will help you with that, certainly, but the desire must be there. And if you're born again, the desire will, will be there. So so before you, you, you go further, and I, I think it's just important to to just note that we talked about time not being a factor, but it is a factor in the sense that that's how we gauge where someone is maybe not growing, is that six months have passed and you know, we're going to talk about some of the the, the 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 reasons or the reasons why they stay in that stage. But the time is the only thing you can tell. Like, I, you know, someone who is newly saved doesn't necessarily know they can't wear that kind of clothing to church. They don't know all the forms. They don't know, um, you know, every single uh, church um, um, norm. And, and, and so they may not realize that cursing is bad because all they've known is the love of Christ and they're just happy to be in the kingdom. And so time has to be a factor but it's just not 
a it, it's just not x amount of time means you're x amount of grown um and i think that's one of the things that we're going to say is that hey at this point 10 years in <laughs> to give an exaggerated time it just seems like nothing's happening what's what's going on right um and I think that's something we just gotta we, we just gotta make sure we, we let everyone know it's like time's not a factor in terms of uh, x amount of time doesn't equal growth but x amount of time should say that something should be happening it doesn't indicate what, what stage you are in but it can show that you haven't left the stage right and so um, we would probably use the phrase that's using, I believe it's Ephesians 518, redeeming the time. Right, right. And so uh, we have to redeem the time. So time just ticking away doesn't make you grow. But when you redeem the time that's ticking away, that's when growth would take place. And so um, there are those that have lack of service, that they're just uninvolved in the life of the church. Um, they would rather be served, not actually to serve. And so they have no assignment uh, they walk in, they sit down, they hear the preaching, um, and there's really no connection with the local church. And that's kind of sad because mm. you're in a family, and so you need to be involved with the family. Uh, you're not just there to hear a sermon. That's why some of these places that, um, you know, they shut down during, quote unquote, COVID time, pandemic, quote unquote. And so then some churches stayed online. And I don't know that I would have called that a church because if, if church is just listening to a sermon then we could all stay home and just listen to YouTube all day and yeah. listen to our favorite preachers, but there's no interaction that's going to happen there. You know, I mean, Vody Bauckham and Paul Washer are not going to come to my home when I'm sick and pray for me, or, you know, they're, they're not going to send food over and, you know, if we have a need or something of that nature. And so there's a lack of service. And there's also some people have a lack of sound preaching. There are those that actually never sat under the strong preaching of the word of God to nourish them to grow. They're sitting under weak preaching, shallow preaching, preaching that has truth mixed with some non-truth with some lies, you know, and I mean, every church in one sense has some truth in it because even a broken clock is right twice a day, but it's not, you know, like it's not heavy on the truth of the, of the word of God and truth on the gospel. Now, 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 one thing to, I, I guess we just, just to look, we're, we're once again, now we're talking to different people, different people listen, some people have some thoughts on it. Some people are completely brand new to the church. And there is a time whenever you go to a church where you kind of want to feel everything out, right? You go in there, you don't really know anyone. You maybe you're, 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 you might be shy. I know some people are very shy and they just, they're, the interaction period, the time to get to know people, it's difficult. But I would say if you've gone to three to four services and you don't stay back, you don't ask questions, you're not going to the Bible study. You know, we're not saying just any church you go to day one, you're like involved in every single aspect of it. But it's something, and like we said, something where it's a legal mandate where the church has to shut down for a period of time. Okay, that's fine. But it's not really a church if it's extended. If 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 you find yourself six six services in, you don't even know the pastor's name from the bulletin. That is an issue, and um, that can quickly stunt your growth. Right? It, it, that's the number one. You, you you can't grow that way. Yeah, yeah. I'm I, since I interact with young people a lot in my line of work. Sometimes 
you know, as we're speaking and they tell me, or they find out I'm a pastor and they tell me, Oh, I'll go to church. What's the name of your church? They're like, uh, uh, I don't, I don't know. Like how long have you been going there? Uh, about five or six years, 10 years, you go in there 10 years. You don't know the name of your church. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it just, you know, I mean, I find that like, it just kind of, uh, doesn't seem to, to fly. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so besides lack of service and lack of, um, sound biblical preaching, uh, there are those that simply have a lap of absorption. In other words, God's word is not just supposed to come in one ear and out the other. It's supposed to get planted and penetrate the heart. It's supposed to resonate um, and be absorbed within you that cause you to hunger more for God's word and give you just such an insatiable desire and appetite for God's word. Um, you're not just learning like religious stuff and religious speech. I mean, we have enough of that nonsense. Well, we need something that's life transforming. And so when God's word is properly and biblically preached and rightly divided, I mean, that should do uh, what Jonathan Edwards calls stir up our religious affections. Are your religious affections stirred up in the church that you go to in the church you gather with? When the pastor preaches, are your religious affections stirred up, not because there's a bunch of hype, but because of what is actually being preached? And so some people and some of you may be in churches that are like whipped cream, right? You stick your fork in the whipped cream and it just goes to the bottom of the bowl and there's nothing really to grab onto. There's no substance there. It's very sweet. It makes you smile, but there's no substance. There's no depth to the preaching. There's no challenge uh, there's no gospel. And so if that is your experience, uh, contact us. We would love to recommend a good biblical church for you if, in fact, we can help you with that. Um, it really breaks my heart when people are in bad churches. And, I, and I've been in bad churches in the past myself. Yeah. So I, I recently we had um, our Thanksgiving service where we um, have the um, uh, testimonies. Yes. And one of the things that it's a beautiful process. I think people should do that more often. I think uh, um, it, it's very encouraging. But one of the things you notice is that when, you know, some people are saying, well, I, you know, they talk about the process of going to the church and there's a period of time between when they really don't know anything, they're not saved, they're struggling with salvation and the period in which they do get this, this realization that I'm in Christ now. Yes. And what's very interesting is this idea that they're attending and they're either sleeping through the service, it's not really hitting them, they don't understand, and it's shocking because someone who is like, that was beautiful, I'm feeling so convicted, it's very hard to, to imagine going there and hearing um, a biblical preacher preaching and pleading um, about God and about the sacrifice and then it not touching your heart. And so on the one hand, I know there are people who believe that that this happens to. On the other hand, it's it's kind of hard to imagine. So, if this is something that you're going through, I think I agree with Pastor Phil here. You 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 need to reach out to somebody, and it's not normal. It's not normal. Um, now, lackluster preaching, maybe, but even I've heard some lackluster preaching, some bad preaching. But there's always something in there, you know, especially if they read the verse right out <laughs> that that's going to be pulling you towards God. And so it can't be the bad pre preaching. It cannot be, um, you know, the speaker. It has to be some desire in you that's not there for God. And so that is a, is a very dangerous sign. But once again, you can go through many years of just not having that. And so um, that to me, lack of service, lack of sound preaching. 
And I think lack, lack of absorption is something that's inside of you, I think, more than those other more outward things. Yeah, yeah. Somebody asked me one time, if you put a sponge in a bucket of water, is the water in the sponge or is the sponge in the water? Mystery. <laughs> I love I love things like that. Okay. But, um, you know, like when you're sitting in the pews, listening to sound preaching, you know, the sponge needs to be in the water and the water needs to be in the sponge. So among the family of God, you're learning from the preaching of God's word. An, an interesting thing to think about with that is, and, I've, and you're a pastor, so you, you know how it is. You're, you're studying the word of God. You're doing your best. When someone comes up to you after the service and starts challenging, not necessarily saying you're wrong, but just questioning you about things, it's encouraging. It's a, it's, it's, it's a dichotomy. If you're preaching or doing a Bible study like I do, and everyone looks half dead, it doesn't lend itself for you really bringing the passion. And so it's a dynamic process. I think that image of the, the sponge and the water is perfect. It's like, it, it, it's supposed to be synergistic. If you think that the, the preaching is um, sound, let's start there. It has to be biblically sound, but it's a lackluster. I think that's something you have to bring to the, to the thing. If it's, if it's sound preaching. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we have a, um, some new believers in our church. We have people at different levels of spiritual growth. I remember one morning, um, uh, one guy came up to me after I preached and he said, uh, you know, you said this, uh, I didn't really understand that. Can you explain that to me? Wow. And like, that just brings joy to your heart because you're like, okay, yeah. you know, they were listening. Mm-hmm. Somebody's getting in there. And when they don't understand something, they come and seek for clarity, Amen. not just, all right, they used a word or a phrase or an illustration that I didn't get it. Or they tried to connect two things and it didn't connect in my mind. Mm-hmm. So they come and they want to know. And then they, you know, until they understood. And I, I wanted to make sure that they understood because sometimes if somebody comes up to you and asks you a question, you might just give words, but you have to make sure that they actually understood the answer and that you answered the actual question that they were asking. And I like um, what I heard one preacher say behind a question is always a questioner. So you want to kind of scratch the itch that they're having and not just run on your hobby horse. They're, they're asking something specifically because they want to grow or they want to understand so that they can grow. And so what, what did your infancy look like? Do you remember, Glenn, when you were first born again? And I would say a lack of sound preaching was pre- prevalent. And the good thing was I, I knew it was, wasn't sound. I knew there was something off. Obviously, as a young believer, I didn't know what specifically was off, but it just didn't seem right. So I kept searching. So that hindered me. So that first year, I could just throw it out because there was just so much that is wrong and bad and wasn't correct. Um, there wasn't a lot of absorptions. One, because like I said, it's a synergistic uh, um, process and the lack of sound pr- preaching didn't really lend itself to absorption, you know? And so a, lo- a lot of what I got was from just me reading. So that that leads to what we talked about, lack of service. It's just like, there was no way to service anywhere. It was kind of like, I'm gonna be a super knowledgeable reader and just have a lot of information. Um, and I think, as a pastor, and I know our, our Pastor Peter, the difficulty with me is I have all these ideas and thoughts that I developed on my own, some good, some bad, some, you know, whatever. And it's just hard for, for him to kind of, he spent a lot of years kind of unpeeling it. When if I came in and said, hey, you know, what's, what's solid, then it, it's, it's taking me many more years to unlearn the things that I learned and to un, 
the, the, the things that I just developed on my own, like I said, it's not necessarily wrong or unbiblical, but it's just a harsher way of looking at it than what God intends. Uh, and also there's a lack of discipleship. There was no one that discipled me. So I could do whatever I want and it, some were right and some was wrong. And now to me, it's, it's just the danger to sound a, a horn. The danger is you're still going to grow. If, if you're in Christ and if God is working on your heart, you're going to grow. But guess what? A like nine years in where you should be discipling others out there preaching, being a dynamic, you know, person for Christ, you're kind of undoing everything that you, you know, the, the wasted time. And I think that's the real danger more than, Hey, you're never going to grow. It's just, it just, it, it hinders your growth in another way and that you just don't grow with the precision that you would have if all these things were addressed early on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, when I was first saved, I was in a church and they kind of dismissed the kids. And so I wasn't in, you know, church with the adults. Then I would just, you know, I would leave and uh, yeah, I would go with the kids, even though I was a teenager. Um, it kind of felt like it was too long for me, you know, coming out of Roman Catholicism. It's like drive by religion, you know, you're in and out in 45 minutes. Hold on. Um, so you're saying Roman Catholicism <laughs> with their 10 minute sermons was too long. Is that <laughs> really a sermon? Um, true, true. The homilies, the homily, homilies. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, a lot of these priests—they just kind of—they're pretty much uh, told what they need to focus on and, and what have you. But um, I mean, I really haven't heard any that could actually preach. But that's besides the point. And so, you know, kind of coming out of that, I mean, it just—it felt very long because you sing for, you know, yeah, we were singing for a long time, and then all right, now there's more. After, you know, there was two hours, and so. Um, but I mean, again, like you said, you know, no one picked me up and discipled me and started teaching me the elementary things of the word of God. And in the beginning, no one even, even told me to read my Bible. I mean, how sad is that? I mean, I saw people with their Bibles. Um, and I guess the preacher was saying, open your Bible, but like no one ever like picked me up and tried to help me, uh, to grow and very sad. Nobody tried to, you know help my parents or, or what have you. And so I kind of look back and reflect and, you know, I was kind of on my own a lot. And then eventually I had a desire to get a Bible, got one, started reading it and was just enraptured by the word of God and have never put it down since. And so uh, anyway, all of these things um, I remember in my infancy stages and everybody has to go through it. And then eventually people did come along here and there, a person for a year here, a year there, and started to help mentor me and disciple me in certain ways, sh shapes and form. And so, you know, God brought people, uh, you know, kind of out of the woodworks to help me along in the process. So thank God, you know, God is God's providence. Um, and so there was lack of sound preaching um, that causes infancy too much, uh, you know, lack of absorption and lack of discipleship. Um, but besides uh, stage number one, um, stage number two would be more called something like infantry. Uh, this would be the young men. Um, and so the time factor, as far as the time has been redeemed, not just ticking along once again, but there's, there's stuff that's been happening. They, they have been in the word. They have been hmm. involved in the things of God. And going back to first John chapter two, uh, John writes to the young men. He says, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. That would be verse 13. 
And then he also says in verse 14 at the end, I'm writing to you young men because you are strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So you see that there twice. And so these are those they've grown up out of childhood. Uh, they're out of diapers. Uh, they're wearing the full armor of God, if you will. Uh, they, they put on their big boy clothes. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, and, and it takes time, like I said, to get out of the, the infancy stage. Yes. Stunted by, by if, if, if a lot of those other factors aren't thing. And so during that time, you're growing. I, I think the illustration you started off with, with the butterfly, that's what it is. It, one of the dangers, I think, is being someone more mature. Uh, you know, in quotations, it's just like you're seeing someone less mature or is just starting out and you want to push him over the you want to just speed him over and to say, all right, read 20 chapters, uh, you know, John and, and get back to me when it's like, no, no, they, they need to struggle with this on their own. You just you're just there to guide them. So I think that's 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 but the, that's what the time factor comes in. That's where this um, experience comes in, not that experience itself is growth but you need to experience some things in order to grow. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so th this guy is, kind of, you know, he's kind of bigger, stronger, ambitious to learn. And, and he wants to get doctrine like cemented in his heart. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to live with purpose. They, they don't want to just be a hamster on a wheel. They, they want their life to count. They want to make a dent in this world for Jesus Christ not just leave a legacy behind for the sake of leaving a legacy They they want to do something for Christ. They, they want their life to be known and identified with Christ. Not I became a CEO. I started my own company. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm this, I'm that they're not identified chiefly by their job. You know what happens, right? A bunch of guys get together and like, well, what do you do? And you know, what do you do? And and then guys kind of size each other up by what their occupation is. And somebody says, well, you know, I'm a janitor. Oh, okay. That's cool. Somebody says, you know, I'm a neurosurgeon. Whoa. Oh, wow. You know? And so you're kind of thinking they're, they're almost their worth um, based on their job. And so a lot of men identify in the sense of what they do job wise, but how many men would you say um, you say, you know, what do you do if they were to say, listen, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, um, and I'm a child of Christ and I seek to live for him. I mean, how, how, how would that be at the office party, you know, yeah, or the Christmas yeah. party, so to speak, as far as, you know, uh, um, someone thinking, you know, what is your worth based on your identity? And so when we answer differently, that raises eyebrows because you're not answer, answering in the typical fashion. No, Pastor Phil, I love when you talk about me in the third person and, you know, you don't have to be so <laughs> complimentary, but I'll take it. You know, I'm doing I'll definitely, it. I'm I'll doing definitely it, take man. it. Um, I, I think also another in, indication of growth is the fighter stage. And I think what happens is I knew that when I was first saved, um, I, I did have this fighter stage, but it was more of the curiosity of this newness of life, this new relationship, this new kingdom that I'm in. And I think what happens is you as you realize this, that you're in this new kingdom, you start recognizing this battle that's there and you stop being a spectator. You have the desire to go into enemy territory. That means that, you know, when there are false teachers, when there is um, false religions, you want to mix it up. You realize, hey, I know the truth and I want to save. I want to I get out there and let everyone know what the truth of the, the gospel is. And so 
there's a desire to defend the faith, to win souls, um, to contend against um, secularism, against um, the transgender movement, the you know the the, the uh, social justice movement, uh, you know all these different false um, uh, you know religious movements, the uh, Muslims, uh, the Seventh Day Adventists, all these different groups, they they get you that you see it. It becomes this. Um, you just can't stand by and watch as they they profane yes. the name of the word of God, the name of God. Yes, yes. And so I, I really like, you know, this aspect you brought up as far as the fighter. Um, and so, you know, you had like uh, the Sons of Thunder in the, in the scriptures, uh, John and his brother, you know, can we call them fire from heaven? And th- there was this fighter in them. And even though maybe they didn't do it with, you know, with the right intention, so to speak, they had this this thing inside them. Like, we, we want to do what's right. And even though they didn't do it the right way or had the right heart behind it, they would grow and learn. Uh, this same John who said, can we call down fire from heaven, is now writing, I'm writing to you little children, and he's writing, my beloved children. And so uh, God tenderized his fighter heart. Mm-hmm. And But uh, this stage here of, of this young man in the, uh, um, in the infantry, uh, they're not just tipping their hat now to everything that is said. Oh, you know, you believe in Allah? Okay, well, I believe in Jesus. You know, okay, you know, let's all sing Kumbaya. No, that that's not okay. They have this thing in their heart where they say, I know I have permission and authority to disagree with those in the world. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean to be we need to be mean or unkind or things like that, but to be able to stand up and puff your chest out and say, Listen, Jesus is the only way. I'm sorry. Uh Muhammad died and he stayed dead and he's in the grave and he never got up. But our uh, our prophet is not just a prophet. He, he's the priest and the king, and his name is Jesus, and he is God in the flesh, and he died and he rose. And I don't apologize for that. And you need to know this because mm. your, you know, your religion will never lead to salvation. And so this greatly troubles me. And so, again, not being unkind, uncaring, but because you care. You're going to speak the truth and it may actually sparks may fly with the person you're speaking to because they may be of the opinion. Well, you know, hey, I believe this. You believe that, you know, can we just all get along? Yes, you can get along in a worldly sense that you can eat a hamburger together, um, but not in the sense that you're just going to agree that both ways lead to heaven. Um, that's just not OK at this stage because uh, you're, you're not a bench warmer anymore. Uh, you're in the game, uh, you're in the battle and you want to engage. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another in, indicative is uh, spiritual maturity. Like I, it's hard to describe this, but the, the strength of, and the word, like you're able to say no to things and yes, to, no to sin and yes to righteousness. It leads from the fighter stage because you're, you're winning battles. One of the things I, I discussed in the book is, each victory that you have over sin, each victory that you have over the, you know, the flesh, it, it's something that you can lean back on because it only gets more difficult. That's that's mm-hmm. the, that's the truth. Hey, we're going to give a secret away. It only gets more <laughs> difficult, right? It only doesn't get easier. We're like, oh, you, you might see your pastor. You might see someone who's a little older in the faith. And you're like, oh, they they don't curse anymore. Oh, they, they just, they're at church. It's a struggle. We're, we're constantly fighting against the flesh. And but 
I can say no to things because I've said no to so many others. I can say yes to righteous things because I've said yes to other things. And, and so what you're going to see is that the word of God is going to abide in them. Uh, one of the things that terrifies me is as I see older believers, like, um, you know, nearing the time when they'd be closer and closer to Christ, you really see what, what how their lives were shaped. What is the pattern of their lives? So if they have a lot of pride, it shows. If they were given over, and an example of that would be uh, Pastor Paul Fry. If they are like absorbed in the word of God and they really, really read scripture, he could he be able to rattle off scripture like back to back. I mean, perfectly in sync. I mean, verse after verse after verse. And he has this heart that is so easily dem demonstrable because of how he lived his life. So I think it's something that you can actually see in the person if you're, if you're looking at observing them, a humbleness. Um, and it's completely different than someone who's a, in infancy. And I'm not even describing what we're going to talk about later, but just this, that's one of the reasons why you have to be in a church under a discipleship, because it's hard to recognize if you don't know where this started from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean this guy, they desire to invade enemy territory with the gospel They they want to be a, on the advance they're not okay with just being, you know, stagnant quo. They, they, they're not, they're not going to sit on the sidelines. And so uh, these want to defend the faith. They want to win souls for Christ. And I, I remember when these things started taking place in my own life. Um, like I said, some people started to disciple me and uh, there was a guy named Dan and, and he has since passed away and, and to go be with Christ. Well, not recently, but many years ago. And I met him and he introduced me to apologetics and I had to defend the faith. And I was like, oh man, I was just eating this up because I never heard this before. And, uh, you know, how do you defend, um, you know, uh, creation against evolution, uh, and all of these other things that we spoke about, you know, things about abortion, you know, against being pro-life and, uh, uh, gender things, you know, sexual sin versus, you know, uh, being sexual righteousness, I guess I would say. Um, and so this just great desire. You, you want to contend against worldly ideologies and philosophies. And, you know, in the same way that we spoke about Cortez, you, you want to stick the banner of Christ and the banner of God's word uh, in the sinking sand of man's word. And you want to lift it up and let it be known. I'm living my life for Christ. Um, and, and you're okay to be mocked by the world. Um, you know, you're not you know, trying to get bouquets thrown at you and you don't, you don't care if everybody likes you and you're not trying to be mean and you're not trying to be like rough, like sandpaper in people's lives. You're not trying to get people to dislike you, but it happens at times because I mean, listen, not everybody liked Jesus and his gospel message was perfect and spot on and no one could ever improve upon it. And people, they wanted to stone him at times. So, you know, don't be discouraged if you're in the young man stage here and, and there are people that don't like you and friends that don't want to hang out with you anymore. Uh, that is what's supposed to happen. The world is not supposed to continue to, to love you as it once did. Um, so you're strong in the faith because uh, you've had to push through and fight for the defense of the faith. Uh, but you're right, Glenn, spiritual maturity. Um, and so some of the things that were mentioned was overcoming the wicked one. In other words, you're winning spiritual battles. Can you just elaborate a little bit more on that, the, the winning spiritual battles? Because you started to mention that before. Yeah, Phil. So, yeah, basically an example of a spiritual battle would be, you know, 
like I said, I, I'll use Paul Fry as an example. He, he's very vocal about that. He had an issue with, with smoking. And for him, it was, it was an addictive thing. It took him away from Christ and he had to subdue that. Um, for others, it's cursing. They curse every other word and they know it's wrong. It's, it's, a, it's a struggle. And then they, they're gaining victory after victory after victory. Then you, you realize, for example, you have, you're very prideful. You're very, you think very highly of yourself. That can be, it's hard to break that kind of um, hold over yourself because it's something you do unconsciously. Mm. But I'm saying some people just don't all of, all of a sudden become humble, you know, but they can say, hey, I know this is something I struggle with, but I've overcome these other things. And when I say overcome them, I mean, through submission to Christ, through study, through um, a process of, 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 of worship and, and adoration towards the Lord. And then that is slowly changing you. And then you realize you, it's not a recognition that you can do it. It's a recognition that Christ could do it. And I don't care if I tell you day one of salvation, how great God is, you have to see it. It's just one of those things. The doubting Thomas is in all of us. You have to, you want to poke and, and see the hole where he was punctured. And I think that's what I mean by these spiritual battles. They, they build up the muscle, this recognition, so that, so that as you face greater and greater crises, as you face greater and greater sin issues, you can say, hey, this is not something that's too great for my God. Yeah, yeah. And let me just mention before we close, you know, this zealousness for Christ begins to supersede uh, the zealousness someone had for sports and hobbies and things of this world. Um, the motives are, are all affected to live for the glory of God and not for the unholy Trinity, which would be me, myself, and I. Um, and mm -hmm. so you're standing your ground. Uh, you can't be just be blown over by every wind of doctrine anymore. Um, you have some, you have some hustle behind the muscles, so to speak, because now you're memorizing God's word, you're meditating on God's word and you're living it out. You're putting in the practice. And so you want to continue to grow in these areas. You're serious about your walk with the Lord and your involvement with the local church. And you want to spend time. You want to be around mature people. You want to grow. You want to learn. You might have a desire to be in the ministry um, in some way, shape or form. Um, it, and, it's, it, it's basically the reverse of the infant, like all the, the things that we just talked about, the not, the not, the not, the not. Now, now you want to do it. 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 It's, it's a complete shift. You're actually uh, just for a brief moment, repelled by, not sound preaching before you could kind of stomach it. And now you're like, I can't even sit through this five minutes in. You're like, I, I can't, I can't hear this. Right. This is so against what God is, is proclaimed. I, I, I got to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. So in closing, perhaps you heard it said that a fish will only grow to the size of a tank. And so I don't know about uh, all fish, but from what I understand is true of goldfish to a certain point. If you put a comet goldfish in a five gallon tank, its whole life, it'll stunt its growth. And so the actual goldfish stops growing. But if you take that same fish and put it in a larger tank, it will grow um, to its to, to the capacity of the tank. And so uh, as a fish needs a place to grow and not be stunted. So therefore, do you need to be uh, in a tank by which you can grow, hence a local church? And so how do you do that? Um, you plant yourself in a good, healthy local church. Are you in one right now? I don't know. Are, are you being nourished by the word of God so you can grow? Uh, has sin stunted your growth? Do you need to repent? Uh, are you being discipled someone that can help you grow? 
Well, before we end here, let me just uh, give you an aside here, a little infomercial. Um, we have some merchandise on our website that will help us uh, here in the ministry. Um, Christmas right around the corner. We have our Spurgeon and Luther Christmas sweatshirts. We have mugs and hats and various things available for purchase. And if you're interested in purchasing our discipleship workbook called Multiplying for the Master to help you in your growth, or perhaps you want to use it as a tool to help somebody else grow, please email us to get a copy of that. Um, and it's a very nominal uh, fee for that. Also, please pray for uh, our late night men's prayer meetings. We have one on the second Friday of each month. If you're interested, please email us. Men, if you would like to join us, uh, we have hermeneutics training. We have evangelistic outreaches, and we're beginning to go back to the murder mills, hence the abortion clinics here in New York City, to go preach the gospel and hopefully see uh, people's lives saved and especially the lives of babies saved as well. There's much work to be done for the King of Kings, but we do it all with joy. Let me give CT Stud the last word. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Thank you for taking this time to stop and think about it. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You could also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener-supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishingministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It.